You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll take a glass together and we will lift it to the good life. And as we're lifting it, we will most sincerely say, we'll take a glass together. You're listening to Equity One, a podcast where two friends chat about life, theater, and everything in between. I'm Elliot Maddox. And I'm Caleb Dickey. Join us for your Equity One. We do bumpers this weekend. We do bumpers this weekend. Okay, that's cool. Bumpers? Yeah, like bumpers are like, um... Oh, yeah. Technical term, you guys. Yeah. We, we're very technical. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready? Can so you say interstitial? 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 What's that? That's when uh, you have a... A program and it's interrupted for commercials, and you have those little things that get you back into the program. And now we return oh, like, to oh, oh sure, previously mm-hmm. we haven't gotten sponsors yet to yeah. do that, uh-huh. but like, that's our goal. To okay, get some interstitials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did I say that right? Yeah, interstitials. <laughs> that's the just the little bridging material, not anything to do with the sponsor itself. Oh, I love it. Well, I think we should open with that. Okay. We'll just say who you just heard on our mic <laughs> here at Equity One is our special guest this week, Wayne Bryan. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Caleb. Hello. We're so happy to have you here. Well, I'm so honored our to be invited. Show. Thank we you. We wanted you to be one of our first guests, but then you know, scheduling is so, it's hard to nail you down sometimes. It is, and I'm old, so you'd better get <laughs> me now before we just go away. <laughs> So good timing on your yeah, part. Yeah, we have someone to wheel you off right yes, after. Yes, thank done you here. so much. Let's no. get it. Let's let's start with a cheers. We're cheers. 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 We're having we're having plink coffee plink in our holiday cups. Of course, the holidays are right around the corner. Mm-hmm. They are. Oh, oh, oh. oh Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, you've been busy with the holidays because you did um, a Christmas story out of Fulton. Yes, I have. Uh, the wonderful producer down at the Fulton Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Mark Robin invited me to come direct his Christmas show down there. Mm-hmm. And this was a real honor because he has always directed the Christmas show. Uh-huh. But now that he has become the executive director as well as the artistic director down there, he had more duties this year and wanted to pass it off to somebody. And somehow my name came up and I was honored to go direct uh, Pasek and Paul's wonderful musical version of A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. A classic. Did I, you do you enjoy the movie? Or did you I love the movie. And uh, when I was 10 years old, like Ralphie in the movie, I was a blonde, chubby-cheeked kid who wore glasses mm-hmm. and who kind of got lost in his own fantasies a lot of the time. And uh, so I always related to Ralphie in the movie quite a lot. And my dad was not terribly communicative about his love for the family, although we felt it. But mm-hmm. it wasn't the era where men talked about such things. Sure. So yes, 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 yes. I definitely relate to mm-hmm. the dad, the old man yes. in the musical <laughs> and the movie. That's a show that Ellie and I saw on one of our first trips by ourselves to New York. Yes, and where were you living at the time? Were you in school? We were in Oklahoma City. We were we were on Christmas break from school, and we took a Greyhound from Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> it was quite the mm-hmm. trip. Yeah. Uh, and that was playing at the Lump, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the Lump on Tamworth, mm-hmm. where uh, Charlie is right now. Well, okay. now, what do you know about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Mr. Maddox? I don't know much about it. <laughs> I do I do it a few times a week. Well, no. that's pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, since you were talking about yourself as a kid, we like to start our interviews off with our guests just telling us a little bit about 
themselves growing up, how they got interested in theater, and uh, will you tell us about um, how you got into performing? Yeah. Well, I'm honored. I hope uh, I'll try to keep it brief in the interest that maybe somebody else can relate to this. I don't know. But the vintage I am, there was not home video in those days of any sort. Not VHS, certainly not DVD or Blu-ray or uh, Hulu and uh, Netflix and all those kinds of things. So if you wanted to see an old movie musical, for instance, you had to wait until your local TV station ran out of regular programming and would show it late at night on oh. TV. And my mom, who had grown up in the 30s and 40s, was really addicted to the movie musicals of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy. And so when I was growing up in Downey, California, a suburb of Los Angeles, my dad was away in the Korean War a lot of the time, so it was just my mother and me. And sometimes the late night movies would show an old musical, and even though I had a bedtime that was supposed to be observed, if one of those films was on, I got to stay up and watch. And I think mm -hmm. that was my first exposure to real choreography, real singing. And then, then as now, the Disney Company was always at the forefront of how to engage young audiences, how to give them a quality experience of storytelling, often with music. And whereas now it's Little Mermaid and Moana and uh, the more recent titles, back then it was Snow White and Cinderella and Peter Pan, mm -hmm. all of which were stories that had songs written for them that really spoke to a very particular character voice, to a particular moment in the plot. They were well-integrated musical plays, but mm -hmm. they just happened to be animated films. And so I would watch those. Uh, when they came to the movie theater, you had to wait every seven years. Disney would bring one of their classics back to the movie theaters. Oh. That was out of the vault. That was yeah. out of the vault. Yeah. And that was the only way you could see those. Although every day in the afternoon, we had the Mickey Mouse Club. When you mm -hmm. came home from school, you watched Monday through Friday. Monday was anything can happen day no monday was fun with music wednesday was anything can happen day friday was the talent roundup there was a theme for each day uh -huh. and so you watched these musketeers leaping about and singing and living the life that somehow you wished you had yes, but you yeah. you somehow felt uh connected to them rather than envious of them you watched them every day and you felt like part of their club sure and I would get the record albums of the Disney movies, and they often had the printed text that you could follow along and learn to read as you listen to the albums. Sure. So Disney was always very uh, smart about that, and I think it's fun that Disney has really led the way back into cleaning up Times Square and yes, yes. bringing a kind of musical theater to the Times Square area that, and to around the world mm -hmm. that has encouraged parents and their kids to come experience shows together so that's that's kind of how it started for me listening listening to records and watching old movies on late night tv which i think is how a lot of us got started i remember going to the library and renting like 20 cds yes. and like mm -hmm. listening to them and they would come on shuffle on my little ipod and yeah. it's like it's those dreams of just like listening to those cast recordings that I love as a kid. And what's the biggest, most anticipated show this year? Frozen, mm -hmm. coming in mm -hmm. with a huge advance sale, and there it is, another animated Disney film, but written by 
credentialed Broadway sure. composers, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, bringing the best of both worlds to bring family audiences back to the theater. Yeah, it's ex you know it's exciting that mm -hmm. they've managed to do this all this all mm -hmm. this time. And it's bringing jobs. Like that's the great thing. Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. Well, I think something with Frozen is interesting too because even even it's as a motion picture. They brought big, you know, Broadway names right. to the table. Right. The voices they could have to hired. write it and to sing yeah. it. They could have hired anyone to do the voices. You know, any any big Hollywood star, and then you know maybe asked a Broadway star to record the voice, or but they asked the Broadway talent to come and sing and do the characters too, which is huge. Well, I mean, I think like if they had a vision from the beginning that they said this could be big and it could go yeah. to Broadway before maybe even release, so they were like, <laughs> let's think long yeah. term, and mm -hmm. maybe that's what. They always knew it would come to Broadway. Yeah, who knows? You know, those forward thinkers, just like you, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> so you spent, uh, I want to fast forward to your performing career. So you spent some time in the, in the military. Yeah, well, fifth, fifth grade, I got to do my first show, and my folks saw that I was taking this way too seriously. <laughs> and uh, so I was forbidden to do any more shows till I snuck away to college. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad was an attorney and my mom was a school teacher and they grew up in the depression where something like acting seemed like a pretty irresponsible way to try to earn a living. Sure. Uh -huh. uh, insecure. We want you to have something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard those kinds mm -hmm. of phrases yeah. one time or another. Maybe you guys may, may have heard it once or twice, but I think, I know Elliot, your family's been very supportive mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Caleb, you came from a family that was not very showbiz. No, no, um, my parents did in high school, but none of them are showbiz people, but um, I don't think I ever heard it from my parents. I heard it from other, other people. people, yeah, uh -huh. like school counselors and things like that, and my parents were like, no, if you want to do this, like, we support you. Wow, that's mm -hmm. great. Well, mm -hmm. I, had a, I had a different path, but my folks' resistance to it help make me stronger and help mm -hmm. always make me evaluate if I was doing something that was realistic and mm -hmm. uh, it's been a you know a source of some pride that once I got out of college I've always earned my living doing something affiliated with show business mm -hmm. and, and that's been a long time now so I, I feel like I think they their I don't want to say doubt but their questioning of my uh, ability to earn a living doing this certainly helped stiffen my spine and make me more determined to uh, find my path. Totally. And first, uh, I think all of us are attracted to the business by performers. So my first goal was, you know, to be an actor. I want to be up on mm -hmm. stage where people notice me. Mm -hmm. And I'm short and I'm chubby and I'd rather be somebody else. So the theater can make me somebody else. <laughs> I can be somebody else. And uh, so I. When I got to college, I was in the marching band, which was approved by my parents, and I was a, a, a pre-law major with sort of speech and English, and those were approved, but I, they also kind of tipped over into drama a little bit, and in the evenings I could do what I wanted, mm -hmm. and my band teacher, as it turned out, was the musical director of the Civic Light Opera for Santa Barbara, where I was going to college. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were about to do The Sound of Music, which was the first time it had been done by an a amateur group in mm -hmm. that part of the state. And they needed a Rolf, the telegram boy. Mm -hmm. And I was 17, going on 18. I did uh -huh. look like a Nazi. I have a German grandfather. <laughs> and so uh, I got recruited from the band to actually go audition, and then I was cast as Rolf, mm -hmm. opposite the band director's wife. 
oh. who, who was 31 and adorable and is still a good friend <laughs> and uh, on whom I developed a great crush. But that was my introduction to showbiz. It was everything. It was glamour. It was romance. It was Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> and so I did that in the evenings. The rest of my college career, I was always in a musical somewhere while being a pre-law student yeah. by oh, wow. day. And then when I graduated college, it was 1968. It was the Vietnam War. You were immediately draftable once you graduated college. So I joined the Navy as an officer for three years rather than being uh, drafted by the army into mm -hmm. the rice paddies. Yes. And after my three years in the Navy, I figured I would then figure out if I was gonna go to law school or if I was going to really make a go for this thing that I was secretly passionate about. Uh -huh. And when I got stationed in the Navy, I got stationed in Coronado, San Diego, right next door to the Coronado Playhouse. And I showed up there to report for duty and they said, oh, we don't do anything in the evenings. Whatever you want to do in the evenings is your own. Uh -huh. So I was immediately cast in Star Spangled Girl by Neil Simon, mm -hmm. which was auditioning at the Coronado Playhouse. And later that fall, the Old Globe Theater in San Diego mm -hmm. was doing the same play. And the producer there had seen me do it at Coronado. And I was cast at the Old Globe. So during my three years in the Navy, I spent half my time overseas. But if I wasn't overseas, my schedule allowed me to do what I wanted in my evening. So I got my equity card at the Old Globe Theater. I started doing TV commercials. I sang in nightclubs, anything to keep my brain uh -huh. alive. Sure. And by the end of my three years, it seemed like maybe I had enough credentials to pursue a performing career. Uh -huh. So when I got out of the Navy, I moved up to Los Angeles. I, uh, I did an episode of MASH. It's in the first season. I'm in a coma for most of it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. And you did so well. Later. I did so well. <laughs> and then I got cast in a Broadway revival of an old musical, a uh, show called Good News, uh, that a producer named Harry Rigby was bringing back to New York in the early 70s. So I came back here uh, to start rehearsals for that. It toured for a year. It came into town in really terrible shape and closed quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, composer Richard Rogers had seen it and asked for me for a show called Rogers and Hart that was the fall. Uh, the, the, it was 1974. We did that in the spring of 74. And uh, that didn't last too long, but the Old Globe called me to go direct Rogers and Hart for them. Mm -hmm. So I went back to California as a director. And then from that point on, I spent about half my time directing and half acting. And so that's, that's how it started. How did you? How did Good News come about? Because you were in you were in Los Angeles. Were you cast there? Was it through people, or did you come to New York? They they had cast most of it here in New York, and the director was Abe Burroughs, mm -hmm. who had written and directed How to Succeed in Business. Mm -hmm. okay, okay. And I later learned that the image he had for this character, Bobby Randall, the uh, second string substitute on the tape football team who ultimately wins the big game by a fluke he had in his mind something like a young Bobby Morse mm -hmm. and I looked kind of like Bobby Morse in those days and I, I had played Finch in How to Succeed and so for whatever reason Abros and the casting people couldn't find what they were looking for in New York so they came out to California for two days and I had a manager at that point, and she heard about the audition and 
uh, tracked him down and got me an audition. And I drove up from San Diego where I was singing in a nightclub and auditioned for him with an old obscure song called Never Swat a Fly, which was written by the people who wrote Good News, the team of De Silva, Brown, and Henderson. Mm -hmm. They had written Good News in 1927, and then they had gone to Hollywood and written a couple movies, and Never Swat a Fly was from a 1930 science fiction film musical called Just Imagine. And I thought it was the perfect song to show the style of that show and and the fact that I knew that era. Sure. Uh So I I auditioned with that song, and they bought the rights to it and put it in the show for me. Wow. And and I flew to New York for the callbacks and met the producer again and Abe Burroughs. And whatever they were looking for, I seemed to provide whatever they haven't found otherwise. You you know, as actors, you never know what it is they're looking for. All you can do is offer the best version of yourself and try to... Try to be smart about the material you choose for the situation you're in and try to show that you understand the ball game. And I, when I'm coaching kids for auditions, I say you, you must remember that the people at the table, no matter how disgruntled or bored they may look, they're actually there because they have a need. They need to find the people to fulfill this dream they're working on. And if they look ill-connected with you, it can just be that they're terrified they're going to make the wrong decision because you hire the wrong person. You can almost never make that right. Uh, And so they're looking at the actors who come in and you want to walk in not smug, but with the sort of, I am the answer to your casting dilemma. Mm -hmm. Uh I understand. Trust me. I know how to handle this. So you want to walk in with a kind of quality that ensure some confidence but also looks open to collaboration if they have a suggestion for you you try something different or if you're doing material and they seem not to be engaged with you you try to figure out how to make it more engaging it's it's a tricky thing but as actors it's an endlessly fascinating process Mm -hmm. to try to see okay here's what i understand about your project here's how i think i could fit into it and the tricky thing is if you're bringing in very obscure material the material might be so fascinating that the auditors spend all their time thinking about the song and thinking about where did that come from and all that you wanted to make sure it doesn't overwhelm you Uh that you're still the most important thing about that song presentation but if you can find something they haven't heard over and over and over again If anybody listening to this is coming to audition for Music Theater Wichita, <laughs> please don't sing Screw Loose from Crybaby. We've heard it. We've heard it enough for now. For now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's get, now, let's let's get, get to music. Because, yeah. because you now are the, what is your official title? It's Producing, producing artistic, artistic Director. director. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's the combination of producer who has to find out where the money is coming from. Uh-huh. And then the artistic director who says, but I want more money to make right. better stuff, <laughs> hire more people. Well, it's good that they're friends. Yeah. <laughs> they sleep together. In fact. <laughs> how, did, how, did, uh, how did that come? How did you so end up in, in 
How did you, you start in Wichita? That's what I think. Like. Well, you know, I'm like you guys. I was a New York-based actor, mm-hmm. and you go out for auditions, and sure. both of you have found your way to Wichita. Mm-hmm. So that's the same way I did. I was here as an actor, and I was hired to come to Music Theater Wichita to play Charlie in Where's Charlie? Sure. And Richard White, who was uh, my chum here at the who had worked there before told them I was also a director and they didn't have a director for Oklahoma so I went and directed Richard as Curly in Oklahoma with Rebecca Luker as Laurie and um, like Corey as Ado mm-hmm. Annie and Lara Teeter as well it was a really good cast, cast. <laughs> <laughs> and so I directed Oklahoma for two weeks and then I played Charlie and Where's Charlie for two weeks and then I came back to New York thinking I had experienced Kansas that was interesting it was a nice <laughs> round building the audiences weren't very big it was a quicker process than I'd ever done before uh-huh. with just 10 days rehearsal and then just a week of yeah. performances but it was interesting, and I learned from it. And in 1986, you could not get a drink with your dinner at a restaurant in Wichita, Kansas. And I thought, wow, I've really experienced the Midwest. <laughs> and there was nothing downtown that was open no, after yeah. 6 o'clock. And on Friday and Saturday nights, the kids would get in their pickup trucks and drive up and down Douglas Street sure. for about six blocks. Yeah. And dragging Douglas was the big activity. I thought, boy, I've really experienced the Midwest yeah. Seemingly of the 1950s somehow, but yeah. uh, so I thought, okay, I've 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 checked off my Kansas box Stay in the there. list, and I came back to New York. And in 1987, they invited me to do a show as an actor, but I was playing Barnum on board the SS Norway for mm-hmm. four months, and that four months in the Caribbean seemed better than two weeks in Wichita, yeah. so that was fine. But then in 1988, I was speaking to the theater about directing Cinderella and uh, Camelot. And then I got a call from the producer saying he had taken a job in Houston. He was leaving immediately. Had I ever thought about running a theater? And <laughs> when I was there two years ago, I seemed nice. And wow. uh, it was like that, the strangest of all things. Yeah. You know, This was a place I had no real emotional investment. I sure. really only had four weeks experience which was not one of my peak experiences but mm-hmm. had been fine uh, if you could have predicted I, I would not have predicted this so I thought well you know what I've never produced anything I've been an actor director never a producer I wish this were the La Jolla Playhouse or the Parker Playhouse <laughs> yeah. in Fort Lauderdale or <laughs> but on the other hand if I go to Wichita Kansas and I'm really bad at this no one will ever know because <laughs> it's Wichita, Kansas. And I don't think anyone knows. Oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> and then, so I went for a summer, and I got paid an extra $75 a week to produce the shows in addition to directing them. And I got to the end of that summer bloodied, but I thought, wow, that was interesting. If, if I could just do that one more summer and I get to pick the shows and pick the directors, that would be interesting mm-hmm. so th- by the end of the next season we had increased the attendance a great deal wow. and I was asked by the Cessna company to do a multimedia show for mm-hmm. them in Atlanta and certain things were just sort of naturally yeah. happening yeah. as a result of this and I think all of us in this business have to listen to our instincts sometimes and go with a door opens yeah. if you think it's worth walking into then you walk in and see where it leads and then what leads from there so one summer in Wichita has now led to 30 summers in Wichita. <laughs> it's and amazing. Yeah. It is. And I get to work with wonderful young talents like you and then get to come see you 
in your other shows as your careers go on, and it's it's just thrilling. Well, I and I think it's you talk about the talents that you get to work with, and it's it's an impressive list of people who have come through Wichita, um, you know, and had great careers on Broadway, uh, be it in the ensemble, be it you know, yeah, just a lot of good steady working stars. actors. Uh-huh. Um, well, and what well, uh, you know in Wichita, for those that haven't been there or don't know, we do five really big scale productions, and we just did Newsies with a cast of seventy five, and Hunchback of Notre Dame with eighty five, and we've done The King and I with one hundred and four, including sixty four royal children. But mostly, <laughs> we just have your good, solid, big size ensemble, thirty people in the ensemble, yeah. and lead actors from New York or elsewhere. We do big orchestras, but they're quick. It really is a rehearsal from Monday to Saturday, and you run through the show on Saturday having learned everything. We add the technical elements, and then we open the show on Wednesday, run it through Sunday, and then it's time for another show the next week. And that was really hard for me initially to think that so much work went into something that was so Mm short-lived. But now, for me, the whole game is, hey, we've got 10 weeks. We get to learn five shows and Mm -hmm. see what makes them tick, the actors get to put five full shows on their resume. Mm-hmm. They'll work with different directors and choreographers yeah. who have different approaches to how we do things. And so at the end of the summer, we all will have learned things about ourselves, things about how other people work. Yeah. I mean, what did you guys, what what in your current lives was impacted by learning how to do shows that quickly? Or I think you had to be um, just quick on your feet I think that's what I've learned the because mm-hmm. you just have like that's how you learn a show so quickly like if you're slow like just trains you to be mm-hmm. picking up choreography picking up music it's just yeah it's a good skill to have mm-hmm. there, I mean it's it's also valuable you know you have a you have a callback for an audition they get you the material the night before and you have to learn it I mean it's it's similar to having a day to learn an entire score of a show in yeah. Wichita or. You know, but the fact that it happens yeah. lets you know it can be it done. Can be it can done. be done. Yeah, yeah. And if I, you just don't get in your own way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also a, a big part of it too is, um, is you know the fact that you know you, you know we open a show on Wednesday in Wichita, and then the next day we're starting to, to learn, learn the, the music. Next show. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And that is not unrealistic in the real world, you know, because so so much of theater, especially now, is like developing things um you know if you're in a show at night so having those kind of skills where you learn quickly i think empowers you for auditions kelly o'hara has said that while even while they were doing south pacific which is an older show and you'd think there wouldn't be that much cuts and changes Mm -hmm. they were dealing from different versions of the text that oscar hammerstein had and they were and they were putting in and taking out different things during previews and she said thank god i had my summers doing stock where you just learn things and yes. you discard things quickly and you learn to make choices that every person on stage, whether you're the villager selling baguettes or whether you're the girl behind Fiona wishing she had a dearie of her own in Brigadoon, sure. you learn to make choices mm-hmm. being on stage, to be somebody who has come from somewhere, you want something, you're going somewhere, you fill out those moments and you don't wait for your school teacher to give sure. you everything exactly. that you're supposed uh-huh, yeah. to do on stage. You learn to create a life for yourself on stage. And when people come to into auditions, for me, and clearly have that ability to take a song or a monologue or a moment 
and create something that has some life to it, yeah. some individuality. No matter what their body type is or their vocal type, that person is going to get your attention and you're going to take note of them and try to figure mm -hmm. out if there's a spot to have that kind of thinking and that kind of energy mm -hmm. as part of your process because you know they're going to bring interesting things into the room. Yeah. And so I, I think often, you know, when we go in for auditions, we're so uh, fearful of making a mistake or not singing the right notes or hearing your pitch or doing those things that you forget to kind of live and breathe mm -hmm. in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Uh -huh. And if you can do that, you honestly, you're going to stand out from 90% of the people who've come in before you and after you that day. Yeah. Well, I think... And Talk. I want you to talk a little bit about the um, your ensemble in Wichita, like the resident ensemble, and what kind of you have developed as the um, standards or like the qualifications, or kind of like you know like who you who you hire, you know it's because it's all co basically college students, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and it makes it for a, an, a, an extremely valuable learning experience. Yes. Um, yeah. So talk about what you what you look for in these students. What and um, and what made you want to go that route? Well, let me ask you, since you've both been in that company on mm -hmm. multiple occasions, what are the common denominators or the factors that you see looking around at the colleagues that you spent time with in the summers? I think it all depends on the season, which is a big thing of being like, we have to just looking at, um, we have to sing in South Pacific uh, for the men and the females, but then we also have to be able to dance in West Side for the next, mm -hmm. the next show, so. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously like very well-rounded talents. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think also, you know, it makes us realize kind of, because a big part of this industry is like, oh, this track is... Five five, and they have to sing a high C in this show, and they also need to be able to understudy this in another show. So they have to be able to. So it it really is like a pu you you know a puzzle. Everyone says a puzzle, but yeah. it really is like oh, this is what everyone kind of brings to the table, and I think it it helps you like also like value what you bring to the table if you see what other people are bringing as well, and you're like oh well they bring this, but I also but I bring this, mm -hmm. I'm able to bring this. Um, also, just really great, really nice people. Really people great, that you love to work with really and that you want to spend ten weeks but with. How do you tell that in a in a room? In in you know, how do you tell those things so quickly? Because <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've, I've helped you with the auditions since moving to New York, and you you tell it so quickly, and like you you summed up all of your work. And what am I trying to say? Well. <clears throat> And, and we encourage our colleagues to come sit in yeah. and watch mm -hmm. for a day. Because all actors, if they have the chance to go sit in on auditions, will learn so much. We've never had somebody sit in for a day or a session and not come out and say, oh my gosh, I never realized. Mm -hmm. You know, you see Broadway people just sabotage themselves, people who should know better, yeah. who just come in and say, well, I just heard about this audition yesterday. In other words, I'm not prepared, mm -hmm. don't yeah, uh, judge yeah. me, and yeah. I'm coming at you from a negative point of view already. Mm -hmm. Or uh, people will come and watch a whole day and say, oh my gosh, all the things I think it's about, it's not about those things at all. It's... Uh, what Caleb said a moment ago, it's about the specific season. So last season, for instance, 
we had Newsies at the end of the season. Well, Newsies is known for needing really acrobatic skills from the men. So that would be a factor that goes higher on the list in a season like that than it mm -hmm. would if we were doing a more sung through season. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I had Newsies at the end of the season, I planned Seven Brides for Seven Brothers at the other end, knowing that if I had guys who could do Newsies, chances are we'd have very good athletic mm -hmm. brothers yeah. and suitors uh -huh. for Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, a theme started developing last year that the shows might all be, and I mean, we, knew we, we knew we were doing The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm -hmm. which although it's based on the Victor Hugo novel, it does take songs from the Disney film. Uh -huh. So we had Newsies and Hunchback and Seven Brides in place, three of my five titles, and they all are movies. So we figured, well, maybe we could make this a season about movies that mm -hmm. were musicals first in the films and then brought to the stage. Uh -huh. So my other two shows I picked were Thoroughly Modern Millie, mm -hmm. which I'd been looking at doing the year before, but we'd gotten the rights to Nice Work If You Can Get It, which mm -hmm. is also 1920s. Uh -huh. So we added Millie this time, and then we added Hairspray to have something with a pop rock totally. score mm -hmm. because the company that comes for the summer needs to learn how to do the legitimate shows but how to do the pop shows mm -hmm. as well. And also it has a, a message about inclusiveness and diversity that I felt was important for us to have in this first year since the recent election. It felt mm -hmm. like yes, we so just needed to remind people that we're all one race, the human race, and that's really the only thing that matters and theater's good for bringing people together. Mm -hmm. So that meant that the company I had to have for the summer had to tap well enough for 30 Modern Millie, yeah. had to do ballet for Seven Brides, had to do acro for Seven Brides and Newsies. If half my company could be African American, that would be very helpful for Hairspray. And then Hunchback requires really good singing because yeah. it's a really rich score by Schwartz. So we last year in five different audition cities, we saw 1,200 singers, knowing that we would hire probably 15 men and 15 women for the resident company, yeah. plus our guest stars for each of the shows. So there are certain people who will come in and audition for you who may not have the... And everybody who auditions for our ensemble gets a five-minute singing audition in which to impress us with the, the range of what they can do. But they must also come to one of the dance calls, uh -huh. even if they consider themselves primarily a singer. Mm -hmm. And so we watch how quickly they pick up instruction in the dance combination. Uh -huh. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to be a perfect dancer, but you have to be willing to pick up information quickly mm -hmm. and not beat yourself up if you make a mistake. And yes. you can watch that in the, in the way people respond in a dance audition. And that tells you a lot about how they work. You can see how they uh, make space for each other on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. That gives you indications of how other sensitive they are and how they sure. may work. Yeah. And then on any given year at Music Theater Wichita, at this point, 50 to 60% of our company will be returning people who worked out well in a previous season, sure. oh, yeah. leaving only 40% to be new. Some of those people will come from colleges that have already provided us some of the existing ensemble. So you can, although you want to be fair and not, not just take one person's word for it, but you can ask the people who know how your theater works and who've mm -hmm. been there mm -hmm. to say, 
we really enjoyed this person at the audition. Do you think they are a Wichita type? Mm -hmm. In other words, do they pick up quickly or do they get along with other people? And you can get some warning signals from people that, again, you try not to prejudge, but if several people have the same kind of blank, terse reaction when you bring up a name, you think... (laughs) Hmm, I better investigate this person a little bit more mm-hmm. before we hire them. Yeah. Interestingly now, and something good for everybody in the business to remember, is I can go to your Facebook page yeah. and see what pictures you've been posting lately to see if you're somebody who seems to get along with folks or if you're a hard partier. Uh, if your Facebook page reflects that, I might think, you know what? Nine days is awfully quick to learn a show. And if you're... Yeah primary focus in your life at this moment in time is having a good time but not work related then maybe you know uh, there I'm making a prejudgment yeah. mm-hmm. but the information's out there yeah. for yeah. me to see so be careful what you put out on the social media yes. if you put videos up online of you singing uh, make sure they're you at your best because there have been people hired and people unhired from looking at their work online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more and more of the casting gets finalized by double-checking yeah, sure. what other people have done. So so be careful about that kind of stuff. Because uh, in the end, it comes down to little things, I bet. Like when you have, you've seen so many people and you're trying to decide on an ensemble and you're like, well, we need this over this. And it might just be yes. that one thing that... And sometimes there may be a person that you have worked with and you know their work ethic is good and you love their tap and you love their singing and another person comes in and they have roughly the same equivalent skills but they can do a double aerial and you're doing newsies Mm -hmm. that person is going to get the call this year Mm -hmm. and it's no reflection on the person you already love yeah but it's just, this is what I need this year. Yeah. Or I need to fill the ethnicity quotient mm-hmm. for this particular season a certain way. Yeah. So if it comes down to these two people, this person is going to have the advantage on this occasion. And it's hard for an actor. You don't, don't take it personally, but figure out what it is you can work on to keep getting better. But that's also life. Like when that's you move life. To, It's hard to learn in college, but when you get to New York, you find that out very fast that like... Well, and I think, and I think part of part of it in college too is that it's very, it's very like, you know, if we're in Oklahoma City auditioning, there are like th- maybe three, four summer theaters that we can audition for in the in our in our geography. Yeah, yeah. You know yes. what I mean? And so those become like the big things, and that's when you, that's when it is hard to take personal because you you put your your literally all your eggs in like these yeah. like three baskets. But when you get to the city and you're auditioning every single day, you know, it's it becomes less, but you can't learn that in school. You can't learn that, yeah. Um, and you said something very smart earlier today, too, about how casting directors see you. You, Elliot Maddox, might go in for one casting director, and they've seen you do something in town. They say, oh, I love Elliot Maddox. He is such a good dancer. Uh, he's really uh, airborne. He's really good with a tap. He has a lot of personality in his body when he dances. I need him for my personality dancer type. Mm-hmm. And somebody else will say, well, no, I saw him play Robertson Eye, mm-hmm. and he's a comedian. He's really good at character parts. That's what he does. And somebody else may see you play a romantic role and say, well, actually, no. I, I call Elliot Maddox in for The sure. Boy and The Fantastics. It's a different mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you, you can let that frustrate you, or you can just say, you know what? 
different people are going to hire me for different things. I just yes. have to keep throwing it out there yeah. and let them decide. Someone's going to want you, and then mm-hmm. that's it. I know recently uh, the home of where you're housed, where Music Theater Wichita is housed, Century 2, is um, has undergone some some controversy, some potential changes. In Wichita, Kansas, there's a big push to update the downtown area. We as a theater could not be more excited about improvements to downtown, and we like to think we've been part of the drive to bring people downtown every mm-hmm. year. We bring about 76,000 people downtown to see shows in the summer. We think we're a good economic motivator. The only place we've ever been is this building. It's a big round building right on the river in downtown Wichita. Century 2, it's called, and it houses all of our shops, our building shops, our rehearsal rooms, costume shop, electrics. It has a wonderful paint frame that allows us to do large-scale drops uh, up on the wall, really beautifully designed, and a 2,100-seat auditorium with reasonably good fly system and lights, and we've all managed to keep improving it through the years. And Music Theater Wichita has been around for 46 years, and the building has been around for 50 years, so we've been there most of its life. And uh, now comes the question, is it time to refurbish this building or replace it? There's a movement that wants to replace it on the same land where it is, which means you'd have to tear it down and then be without a place And unfortunately, in Wichita, Kansas, this is the only place we could be. There's no similar theater. We couldn't move to another location. Not the Orpheum isn't up-to-date enough. There's an old Orpheum theater with 1,100 seats Mm -hmm. with no backstage space, no orchestra pit, no shops, and not a wheelchair-accessible facility. Mm -hmm. So it really is not equivalent. In order to accommodate our 10,000 season ticket holders, Mm -hmm. you'd have to run a show twice as long, but we only have our workforce Mm -hmm. for a finite number of weeks so in order to pay for it we have to do the five productions in the 10 weeks so uh, that's not a viable option and that's the closest thing to a theater that Wichita has Uh so uh, we are trying to work with the city to remind them that we are a unique entrepreneurial business Uh, sometimes I think in our city as with a lot of cities and unfortunately we might be heading into a trend where This is part of the national narrative that the arts are an expendable, lovely, nice thing to have on the side if you can afford it, but they're not really a necessity in life. Whereas scientists will tell you the arts are important for training brains, for training ingenuity. Bill Gates says when they hire people to create software, uh, they look for people with a dance or music background because mm-hmm. they think in three dimensions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, unlike people who only learn in a lateral, kind of literal yeah. sort of way. So the arts, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, yes. probably to your <laughs> listeners, that the arts are much more than an add-on. Uh, it's been proven lately that if you can remember to sing show tunes, uh, you can, uh, you know, fend off dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alzheimer's it, it has a harder time getting a hold of your brain if you can remember show mm-hmm. tunes so i think we're all think in we're good shape yeah. for I a while i also read somewhere that when you go see a show everyone's heartbeat kind of matches up oh wow i have some of the, yeah, show, like the rhythms that. of yes. the show yeah, like so, everyone yeah. syncs up during when they're watching the show so there's lots of advantages that we don't even understand about well-being mental and emotional and physical that have to do with self-expression and the arts so it's important to have these things but sometimes the arts get relegated to being an add-on they you know exclude them from 
uh, educational programs when money gets tight and all that. So our little battle with downtown is to keep trying to remind people that, okay, don't think of us as an arts group. We are a company that brings 300 jobs yeah. to downtown Wichita uh -huh. for four months every year. We bring 76,000 people downtown to see our work. We uh, buy a thousand hotel room nights a year, and that doesn't count all the moms and dads who mm -hmm. come to see Elliot and yeah. Caleb and stay overnight in mm -hmm. Wichita to see what their kids are doing. Uh, we have a $4 million budget at this point, and we spend 70% of that back into the Wichita economy, right. buying our steel, our wood, our fabric, mm -hmm. all those things. So we're the largest rent payer in the building. We pay sales tax on all of our ticket sales. So you have to remind folks that the numbers support the arts being a really good investment mm -hmm. and an essential element to attracting people to your downtown mm -hmm. areas and keeping commerce flowing. People who come downtown to a show will eat dinner in the restaurants. They may mm -hmm. shop yes, uh -huh. at the local stores. They'll spend an extra maybe $80 yeah, drinks after. on the night alone. So, so that's the, the battle we've been having this year to try to remind in a firm but entertaining way that we are an essential part of downtown of whatever they decide, however they want to manage this. If they put us out of business even for a year, chances are we would go away altogether because the it's hard to come back. Uh, yeah, that. it's very hard to come back from absence. It, once people stop renewing their season tickets automatically, sure. you it's, never get yeah, them uh -huh. back. And the people who regularly come to work at our theater every summer, they'll need to find someplace else to work, and they get engaged other places. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that's what our year has been like, well, just reminding think, people. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good reminder that um, these things are important and that we may have to really stand up for them. Um when the time comes, you know, if we have to. Is this a fight. vote or is this like a council or? It's city council having discussions and it's, it's public hearings and it's us trying to find out when these are going to be so that we can make sure we're there mm -hmm. because we don't get told about them in advance. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We just have to be proactive, just like all theater mm -hmm. people yeah. have to be proactive, looking for their opportunities, yes. uh -huh. carving out businesses, podcasts, yeah. dance classes they initiate and go to, uh, all of those things. Yeah. You have to, although I suspect most of us were brought to the arts because that side of our brain is better developed, the side that wants to be expressive and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally rich. But that business side of the brain, we have to make sure is in some of the same balance yeah. uh -huh. just to manage Educated the business it. side yeah. of show mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to just kind of like talk about and then we'll, we'll move on to some okay. segments and some yeah. games but um, when I when you know if anyone spends a day in Wichita with you going to any restaurant any whatever you're immediately pulled aside hugged by the owners recognized by people in the town you're clearly someone who's made a big difference in the community what has been some of, what have been some of the more rewarding things that you've experienced uh, in your time in Wichita, as far as the community, what you've seen the theater bring to people. Oh, that's really nice, Elliot. Um, right, uh, you know, recently I brought a group of Wichita travelers to New York for our annual trip. We bring 50 people every fall, and so many of them look at this very exciting city and all that goes on, 
and will say something to me or, or to others in our group, how, how is it you could leave this to go live and work in Wichita, Kansas? They who have lived in Kansas their whole life can't mm -hmm. imagine that you could have a life in this city and then come to their part of the world and live a different kind of existence. Mm -hmm. And the best answer I have is that when I was a, a working actor here, and I was fortunate to stay employed, but you go to 10 auditions, and if, I don't know what your average is now, but <laughs> if I went to 10 auditions and I booked one job out of those, I was satisfied with that. Oh, and my yeah. agents, oh, yeah. my agents so thought that was great. Yeah. <laughs> which meant that 90% of my energy and my preparation time and my work towards something would land on nothing, the fallow ground. Wow. You're putting a lot of your energy into things that in all likelihood will not happen in the hopes that every 10th time up to bat, you actually score. And in Wichita, Kansas, if we get an idea for a project or something we wanna do, chances are you can make some phone calls and find somebody who will sponsor it or you'll put it on your season roster and you'll know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And when I first came in those first days to Wichita to help them out for a summer, I thought, I was uh, unaccustomed to the idea that you can make decisions and things will just happen. And that now is my norm that I'll plan a five show season and I'll know that those shows will happen and we'll get people yeah. there and we will design the sets and there will be money to do it. And mm -hmm. if there isn't enough in ticket sales, we'll do a fundraiser and something will happen. So I would say, I hope that all performers get to have moments in their lives where whatever they're doing allows them the, it's not a power thing, but it's the uh, ability to see things come from their imagination to actual fruition. You guys mm -hmm. are both doing that now. Yeah. And I just encourage creative people to go for the jobs that they can be a part of that are interesting to them, but also to look for those self-starting things, whether it has to do with the business or not, but something that enriches you and that you can see from the beginning onto some kind of conclusion, and Wichita has been unending that way. Hmm. The, the most satisfying thing for me still, though, is watching people like you two who come through our doors and who share your gifts with us for that time and hopefully make some connections that make it less lonely when you come to New York or make it less intimidating, mm -hmm. that you know people, you know how the system works. Yeah. That, to me, is the unique thing that Music Theater Wichita provides in an era where fewer and fewer summer companies actually mount all their own shows instead of bringing in tours, where we hire a company that we expect to be there to learn five different shows in that kind of time. There aren't too many theaters that do that anymore. Very few, that like, and on our resident. scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, although there have been individual things that were very satisfying, uh, we got to do the American premiere of a show called Betty Blue Eyes <laughs> that I yeah. think is really a cool show. Yeah. And uh, we got to do a world premiere of our rewritten version of Good News, and that's done all over the world now. And so I feel like we've, in Wichita, Kansas, minding our own business, just trying to do good work, we've managed to have an impact that goes beyond the borders of Kansas and impacts people in the business. And I think we all just want to make a difference somehow. And that's been rewarding for me. Yes. That's amazing. It is amazing. Well, we're going to move on to some silly things now. Yeah. 
All right, so we thanks, have you a... silly boys. <laughs> oh well, you're gonna you're gonna be here for oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You're involved. okay. Yeah, you're in it. All right, we're gonna move on now to uh, a segment I like to call Merch Madness. Okay. <laughs> so Wayne, in the, in this in this segment, I take you know I have a merch collection. Yes. Uh, Are you going to model the different shirts? No, I won't model them today. But you're I will, modeling I the band's visit in. very I nicely. I am today. I love this new shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, we I put up two shirts against each other and review them and then choose a winner. Ah. Mm-hmm. So today I decided to go with some of my uh, favorite Broadway flea market finds that yes. I thought you might appreciate. Okay. So we are going to start with. This beauty right here. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm have right now my 42nd Street shirt. This is from the original. Yes, wow. the original David Merrick, David Merrick logo. Production. Uh-huh. It's on a bright red t-shirt with our favorite with a chorus girl sitting, of course. The dame. The dame mm-hmm. in blue. And uh, she has sort of a boa wrapped around her. Yes. She's got a two-piece rehearsal outfit. Which they've made in this incarnation, sort of a turquoise blue. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it has the 42nd Street logo on mm-hmm. it, with big block letters. I love this shirt. It's actually it's actually held up pretty well. The, um, Very well. It is from the original. Excellent yeah. condition. The sleeves are, are a little... Um, you know, they've just, you know, that's an old shirt. Yeah. But um, there's no, there were no holes in it. It's held up very well, and the fit is really, really solid on me. I don't usually go for a red shirt with my skin tone, but <laughs> this one does not make me well, look... Well, today it matches your eyes. And, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> my red eyes. <laughs> my second shirt in Merch Madness, which is so funny that you ah, brought this Indeed. Up. But this is my Barnum shirt. It is. One of, uh, one of my more interesting shirts that I ever found at the flea market. This has the Barnum logo in in rainbow letters across the top. Right, the sort of circusy lettering mm-hmm. going yes. in a half circle over a globe that over shows the Tony Award. Tony, yeah. The Tony Awards that they won. And, of course, the, the, the Tony uh, medallion that, that P.T. Barnum is holding up there. And, um, it, and it's that cartoon of yes. P.T. himself looking jubilant and airborne <laughs> with his jazz arms head. outspread, yeah. jazz hands. Um, I love this shirt. It, it, it definitely has a little more wear than my 42nd Street one. Um, there's a few, little few holes in it here and there. It's mm-hmm. a white T-shirt. But I do, I do love this T-shirt just for the... The, the sleeves um, are fitted. The sleeves are mm-hmm. fitted. They have like a like a. How would you describe that? A ribbing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's mm-hmm. very like it's very obviously um, sewn on deliberately, as opposed to a different kind of uh, just hat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this shirt. Uh, this is a tough heat for me. I really enjoy both of these for their own different reasons. But mm-hmm. I have to say, the winner of this week's merch madness is my Barnum shirt. I salute that choice. Um, I I love the fact that it's like the Tony Award vintage shirt. I think that's so interesting. I like the different colors in the logo. And um, I love the show. Uh, it's a dream role of mine to do someday. Yes. And uh, for that, you need to practice the tightrope. Yes. <laughs> when I did it, I learned at the Big Apple Circus here. Oh, my oh God. I went for tightrope lessons here before I went out to Memphis to do Barnum the first time. Oh wow! And did you did you say you did it? Did you do it on the on the sea? And then I did it on the SS Norway with the ship rocking. How was that? You, it was scary. <laughs> It has made other things seem easy. I'm sure. (laughs) 
Well, and uh, that's uh, so that's this week's March Madness. Excellent. Good choices. Thank you so much. So now we uh, we move on to a game. Yes, yeah, Caleb's game. in charge of the game. Now, when people go to this podcast, will you have pictures of those shirts up we will on have the? Okay, up on our social media account. So you folks see what you think about the choice yes, of shirts, exactly. but I think his choice was excellent. Yeah, we will we will have uh, have the poll out okay. before the episode airs, so they'll get to see uh, get to put their input in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, the next game we have. Okay. Um, uh, they're just questions. Yes. They're fun and this like personality. Okay. Just whatever they're rapid, rapid fire. fire, so whatever oh dear. first okay. comes to your mind, mm-hmm. and there's no going back. So, um, three items you'd bring to a deserted island. DVD player, battery supply, booklet of my favorite DVDs. Oh, okay. I'd starve, but I'd starve happy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is a question. Audra has won six Tony Awards. Can you name what shows they were for? Carousel, Masterclass, Raisin in the Sun, um, Ragtime, um, More recently? Yeah. Not, not the most recent. Oh, Porgy and Bess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And even uh, more yeah, more recent than that. Yeah, you're you're so close. <laughs> it was recorded. You probably have a DVD of it. Oh yes, yes, uh, and it wasn't for a musical. No. Uh, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Nailed it. Oh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, craziest New York moment. This could be like from when you lived here or from a different trip. Well, in the light of all of the stuff that's going on these days, I, when I was, you know, in my 20s and sort of appealing looking, I auditioned for a sort of well-known composer, and he thought I was attractive and started chasing me around the desk, and I could only laugh. And I said to him, don't you realize what a cliche this is? I never felt threatened. It was never a problem. I left laughing. But I would have to say that was one of my crazier New York moments. (laughs) All I could think of was what a cliche it was. Did that satisfy? <laughs> yes, that is, that is yes. very timely. Was, was, was that the answer you were looking for? No, I love it. That was <laughs> a great yes. answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, the last thing you ate. Hmm. I suppose Starbucks coffee doesn't. Oh, oh um, uh, 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 chicken burrito. At, uh, no, enchilada at uh, Iguana over on 54th Street, very near uh, the Studio 54 Theater. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a place you want to visit? Hmm. Australia. Have you ever been? No. 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 Um, a TV show you love right now? I don't watch any TV. I don't watch TV either, really. Hold on. Your um, your favorite Wichita restaurant? Hmm. Oh, Uh-oh. at the risk of offending anybody, I know, but I know. no, still. Um, 
I would say George's French Bistro is pretty special, and they just closed for an expansion, and they're about to, I guess they've reopened now, but I haven't gotten to see what the new menu is, so I'm curious about that. Okay. A nice variety of things, and quite surprising for Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. But I love Sabor also, that's where uh -huh. we take everybody. <laughs> um, quintessential musical. Hmm. Well, are we in a mood for something upbeat or something moving or something contemporary? Yes, right now, just yeah, yeah. today in this moment. Well, I'm excited to see the new revival of Carousel because uh -huh. it was Carousel that first introduced me to the power of the musical theater, how rich it was. I saw it as a kid, and it really moved me and made me think about things beyond my own lifetime, and it was really wonderful. So I'm, I'm very curious to see the new production. I, I'm excited at the prospect of who, who they're putting together for yeah, us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. It's uh, going to be a hot ticket, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a two-parter. Mm -hmm. um, name three Dolly Levi's besides Carol Channing, Bette Midler, and Donna Murphy. Okay. Well, I saw Carol Channing, Dorothy L'Amour, uh, Phyllis Diller, Ethel Merman, Barbara Streisand, of course, uh, and Catherine Kendall did a wonderful job mm -hmm. for us a couple summers ago. Uh, Carol Dilley did it for us the first time we did it there. So, um, and Betty Grable, I never got to see, but she was supposed to be wonderful. Ginger Rogers did not appeal to too many people. Eve Arden <laughs> was supposed to be fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the second part. Who do you want to see as Dolly Levi? Mm. Oh, I'm really curious to see what Bernadette Peters yeah, will do. I, I think she's a great choice. Yeah. Yeah, great too. choice. One of my choices is uh, the Dolly Parton, I think, would be a fun... Oh, Dolly Parton would be I think really fun would be fun really charming. It'd be yes, funny. Yes, I like, do, too. I yeah. think she would take it seriously and do it really well. Uh, yeah. um, so this is uh, Miracle on 34th Street, mm -hmm. It's a Wonderful Life, or A Christmas Story? Oh, A Christmas Story. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> yeah. no question. Um, favorite Christmas in like thing in the city? Hmm... A moment or a feeling? I do love the big tree in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I think that's really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. At the Rockefeller Center or the Met? No, the Met. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's got these carved Italian nativity figures around the base of it. Oh. It's got a room all to itself. It's okay. really we wonderful. Should go. We should look for that. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, New Year's resolution. Oh. oh. Well, that night... I'll be closing A Christmas Story in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, having stepped in as an actor into a production <laughs> I directed. So my New Year's resolution had better get my brain in gear for the upcoming Wichita season <laughs> and yeah, yeah. stop being an actor and start being a producer again. <laughs> okay. Are you going to be playing the... Uh, who are you gonna the narrator. Gene Shepard. What was your first survival job in New York City? I haven't had one yet, but I don't rule it out. Okay. Did you have any in, in, in L.A. when you were in college? Well, in while I was in college, I drove a truck one summer. I worked in my dad's law office several summers until I decided I needed to do more than that. I was a substitute teacher my junior year in college. And then I've been blessed to be working yeah. in the theater. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to go back to this question. I'm going to yeah. like kind of... You're a really yes. good show doctor. Like, I view all, when, when shows that don't really run so long in New York, they get to Wichita, and you see them in a new light, and you say, this is why it didn't work in New York, and this is why we're going to change it here. So your spin on a show or how to make it better. Well, it doctor. isn't necessarily that I could make it better, and it isn't necessarily that I would change the text or the score, 
but I'm very excited to get my hands on Natasha Pierre and the Great mm. Comet of 1812. We'll, we will have to do it in a different way in our summer. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't have the means to transform our auditorium into an environmental setting mm -hmm. unless this happens to come in a summer where our building is torn down and we have yeah. to figure and out other ways to, to and we'll put up a tent, you know? Put up barn it's on awesome. and, and, uh, <laughs> and a sideshow. <laughs> <and laughs> we're doing Pippin this year, but we can do it again. Yeah. So, uh, but I would love to work on Natasha Pierre. I've been doing a lot of research on War and Peace and I, I loved the show here, but the way they did it here is not going to translate to most traditional theaters but I think the material definitely can translate so mm -hmm. I am that's what I'm excited to work on mm -hmm. so as we as we finish up here we just wanted to ask you to kind of impart some closing words some closing thoughts you know we have a lot of people that listen to our podcasts that are you know involved in theater not involved in theater involved in different ways in theater what are just some things that you wish people could hear that you don't always necessarily get to say? Well, when we brought our Wichita travelers to New York this fall, we saw Come From Away, and I'd seen the show before, and, and we have some alumni in it, and I just think it's an impeccably constructed, wonderfully performed, deeply felt musical, and I feel that way about quite a few shows in the canon. But it was a perfect reminder that as national dialogue sometimes gets rancorous and there's efforts made to separate people or to pit people against each other, I think the arts have such a commanding ability to bring people into a room together, both as artists putting on something and as audiences who come into a dark space to have a story told to them or emotions brought up. I think it's so valuable what artists do to unite each other and to support each other. And I, I just hope that our arts in America can continue to be a place where different points of view can be heard, but positive uh, support can be given to those who treasure avoidance of hate, avoidance of pettiness. We, we just have such a responsibility right now to bring forth the nobler aspects of humanity. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just getting trounced with headlines and in news and in so many activities that seem to bring out just the worst in each other. And I think we have responsibilities as artists to try to share our humanity and to remind each other of the, the noblest things that we can do. The arts do it so much more effectively than almost any place. If you can get people to laugh with you, you have a bond. You know, If you can get people to cry with you, then you've shared something and you're less likely to see each other as the enemy or the other. And I just think we all have to really work harder than ever now to unify the humanity of our country and the world. Well, Beautiful. we can't ask for much better than That's that. That's pretty, yeah. pretty, <laughs> not very much fun, but. Uh, I beg to differ. Wayne, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. I'm so proud of you for doing this. And thank Keep you. it up. And you can, if, you, if you're in near the area, you can catch Wayne Bryan performing <laughs> in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
December twenty fifth through thirty first. Or you can find him, of course, in Wichita for the summer. I, and, when, and if your people want to learn more, I heartily recommend a little film that my Emmy nominated brother put together for our theater. If you go to YouTube and just type in M T like music theater Wichita M T W I C H I T A, definitely Broadway. If you tip, uh, type that into uh, YouTube, it's a very entertaining eight minutes that'll show you everything that goes on on stage and behind the scenes at Music Theater Wichita. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful video. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, where can they find our show? Uh, they can find us at Equity One Podcast on uh, Instagram and Facebook, as well as Twitter at Equity One underscore. Yes, and you can email us at equityonepodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Elliot Maddox. That's E-L-L-I-O-T-T, Maddox on everything. You can find me at Caleb Dickey. That's C-A-L-E-B-D-I-C-K-E, and that's on everything. We wish you all the happiest holidays. We will see you all in the new year. 2018, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Goals. <laughs> Let's get out. Goodbye, cheers. Yeah. Cheers, everyone.
ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 